Hi, it's Rainy G with the Holistic Health Hotline. Solutions. I had a friend and client, long-time person, call me up this week and say she's been listening to the podcast and um, enjoying them. But her frustration is, is that now that she knows all the different problems that are going on, what are the solutions? Why aren't I giving solutions to people? And she understood that I usually don't do that. I try to make people... Um, think and use their creativity, their brains, their God-given gifts to figure out where they fit in in this planet, what their um, path is, what their karma is, what their duty is, because I can't tell anyone that. That's not up to me. That's between your soul and God. Um, so I can't give people solutions. I mean, I got she said, well, who do you vote for, or how do you do this, or how do you do that? And my emails ask some of the same questions. The only way I can respond to the solutions question is listen to the podcast as well as you can. What people don't understand is I don't have an agenda in front of me. I don't have a list of things to talk about. I don't um, spend all my time thinking about what the next program is going to be. I don't have a staff of people like they do on CNN or Fox or Rush Limbaugh or whoever you listen to who figure out the, the uh, do the demographics and see which niche market I'm trying to reach and, and, and um, give me a list of 34-year-olds that I'm, I'm trying to get into a specific place for movement or change. I'm not a marketer. I'm not into any of those kinds of things. I don't have a staff that tells me how to do anything. What I do is I come outside and um, take my voice recorder and I either walk or or sometimes sit depending on the weather or I dodge um, helicopters or I avoid the rain or I go listen to the birds and walk outside in the grass, whatever I'm doing. And I let the words come through me. So... Oftentimes, I'm, I'm, um, people ask me what I just did my podcast about, and I can't answer them until I listen to it myself. So the solutions I would give you would be coming from somewhere else, and wherever that energy is, wherever that power is that allows us to create with words, is not telling me what to tell you to do. I can give you um, some examples. I mean, they're... they're <laughs> You could think about impeachment if you're really frustrated with what's going on in the country and, uh, and, and I mean with the country, <laughs> the whole entire country. You could, um, look up the laws regarding that. I've already done that. I know what the Constitution says. I know, um, what the definition of impeachment is. I know what sedition is. I know all those kinds of things. But, but you'll find that without our elected officials in the House of Representatives, Congress, and the um, Judiciary Committee doing what they're supposed to do, which includes the Attorney General, that that's, that's not going to work because that's why the President appoints who he appoints prior to doing anything that he and the rest of his cabinet are going to do. They set up a, a line of uh, offense so that they can do what they want without fear of impeachment or anything else. That's where Dick Cheney's lawyer comes into to play um, and has for four for decades. And uh, uh, so, you know, as a country, as a nation, we're kind of boxed in unless somebody does something that really outrages the public because the public in general 
not you guys who listen to these things like you like you should and try to pass them on, but the public in general, you know, is apathetic. They don't care. They don't know what the trade deficit is. They can't even pronounce it. They don't know what the definition is. They don't understand that when somebody asks for another $200 billion for a war, that we're close to $1 trillion in war debt. They don't understand debt because most Americans are in debt. They're in credit card debt. And to them, it's like, oh, well, as long as you pay it off every once in a while, you're fine. If you um, pay the minimum, you're fine. Well, when countries get into debt like we are, all that has to happen is for the countries we're in debt to um, to call the debt and say, okay, you need to pay this off now. And uh, we're getting really close to something like that happening. That's that's the scary part, the real scary part. And to try to make you understand that, and I know this is holistic health, but again, I will make you understand how this is all connected, okay? To make you understand that, we borrowed money to go to war in Afghanistan and Iraq. We didn't have the money. We don't have coffers of money. Money isn't real anyway. The things that we have in our hand that we call dollar bills are just IOUs, um, which don't mean anything <laughs> in the end. They're really not backed up by all the gold in, in the world that you think they are. But, but we borrowed money. Who did we borrow money from? Saudi Arabia, China, Mexico, and a couple other places. But those are the three main ones. The trade deficit to China is about $1 trillion. The war deficit is almost $1 trillion. Doesn't that make you think about anything? Now what happens? Our Secretary of the Treasury, who's supposed to be in tune about the American economy and what people in our country need, pleads with China to, um, what's the best way of saying it, raise the value of their money to be more fair in our trade dealings. Now, people who are economists are not going to understand what that means either. But what it means in a nutshell, I guess this is politics for dummies here or something, <laughs> what that means in a nutshell is if China was to do that, they, they artificially deflate their money anyway to make sure that their economy looks the way it looks. If they were to um, inflate their money to a point of being equal with the American dollar, which wouldn't be too hard at this point, but if they did, uh, number one, because we are so dependent on China for all of our imports, which is growing by percentages leaps and bounds, we couldn't afford to buy from China anymore. That's why they keep their money deflated. The other thing is if they inflated their money and we couldn't afford to buy from them, that would change their economy, so what do you think they would do? The reaction of any country trying to maintain its sovereignty would be to call the loan. If they call the loan for $1 trillion or $200 billion or $800 billion in war debt and we can't pay, what happens? Well, they own us. And so what's happening when you see China coming over here to buy all these companies at a, at, at a deal, by the way, they're making deals, is that in many ways they're calling the loan. They're saying, okay, we need from you a guarantee of 25% of the war debt that you owe us. And we're saying, sorry, we don't have the money for that. I mean, we're, we're going to put more money into this war and borrow from other countries. So they say, okay, then we would like Bear Stearns, 
um, we would like this company who handles the security for the Pentagon. We would like um, companies who take care of all of the shipping and cargo stuff in all of the ports of the United States. And we fight it a little bit when the media finds out certain things, but we don't fight all of it. And the, and the Secretary of the Treasury doesn't fight any of it. And I'll tell you why. His statement last week was, I can't go to any of these meetings. I'm on the board of directors of that company. <laughs> and that would be a conflict of interest. Well, well, gotcha. Because don't you think it's a conflict of interest that our Secretary of the Treasury sits on boards of certain companies um, and therefore can't or says he can't be involved in any of the decisions around who's going to own that company and what they're going to do with our country? <clears throat> So that's a big problem, okay? The Secretary of Treasury would be one of the first people I would impeach if there was an impeachment process. I'd start there, and I'd also start with the judicial branch of the government and see there's where we come into a problem. If you try to impeach anyone, you have to go through the judicial branch. Well, our judges, you know, throughout the country, um, federal judges sitting on benches not in Washington, are doing things that they shouldn't be doing to maintain a sovereign country in the first place. They're actually almost treasonous. The only thing that makes them not treasonous is the Constitution, because the Constitution defines treason as as actually the um, you know, the making of war against your country. So if you can't prove that somebody is truly making war against ourselves, then you can't prove treason. So it's, it's very difficult. You can't... Um, you, you wouldn't have a case if you went to an attorney. Let's put it that way. So they can't they can't do that. But the judicial um, branch of the government rises above those federal branches of judges, which they get their they get their cues from the judicial branch. And the judicial branch isn't just the Supreme Court; it's your Attorney General. Now, who did we have for Attorney General for so long before they finally got rid of him? Um, you know, Alberto Gonzalez. What did he do? He fired attorneys who knew that there were unethical practices going on in the government. Um, didn't get caught for a whole year almost. So for a whole year, a whole lot of things went on that nobody could catch the government doing or at least prove that they were doing because there's no power left in the government to go ahead and bring them up under charges. There's nobody there. They're all buddies. They're not going to do it. So now we have another attorney general, um, almost, and that's, it's appointed by the president, so there's a problem right there. Now, now you've got the executive branch. You go to the president, the vice president, the um, secretary of state, the, the uh, uh, whatever Rumsfeld was, what was he, security advisor, national security advisor, whatever he was, where you had that group of people who were in power, but because Rumsfeld was so out there to the media, he, he got sacrificed. He was the sacrificial lamb for, for some of these things, which is fine. He deserved to be sacrificed, no problem. Um, but we have the executive branch who, when the media says, how can you do A, B, or C, when this is going to jeopardize the sovereignty of our country or the growth of our country or the safety of our country and the the executive branch says, I'm just going to do it. And they say, well, you know, what about Congress? What does Congress say? And they say, we don't care what Congress says. We're going to do what we need to do to to uh, protect our country. I think when they say protect our country, you ought to, you ought to look at what they define country as. Um, 
a lot of flack out there about Barack Obama not wearing the flag on his lapel. That was um, last month. This week, if you watch Obama at one of these rallies, everyone's standing up on stage during the Star Spangled Banner with their hand over their heart, and Obama's hands are clenched down in front of him, near his crotch, actually. And that's how he stood for the Star Spangled Banner. The Star Spangled Banner, nobody really likes to sing it, and, and we all have a problem sometimes with showing our respect. But when everybody's showing their respect, you feel like an American, and he didn't do that. Then you see a picture of Bush, who is also standing at attention during a, a solemn moment of um, regard where everyone has their hand on their heart and Bush's hand is on his stomach. Now there's, that I'm again, my former Marine nationalist type self who totally believes in, loves my, in and loves my country has a problem seeing leaders who are doing these kinds of things. To me, that is treason. But the, um, the argument of the Constitution would be very tough. Now, back to solutions. So if we can't do those things, what are the solutions? Well, number one, you have to start paying attention to who's going to run the country next. Now, there's something going on in the state of New York. So those of you listening, I have a lot of you um, on the other side of the Hudson and, and then a bunch in the city, but bunches on the other side of the Hudson and in New Jersey and, and places like that. But... Um, those of you in New York, you know what's going on with the driver's license thing. And for those of you who aren't aware and don't listen to the news, you should be. Because Elliot Spitzer, who was the Attorney General of New York State, is now the governor, has decided, and, every, and nobody can figure out why, we'll figure it out, has decided to issue driver's licenses to illegal aliens under the pretense that this will make them better drivers. Now, you think about what's coming up. What is going on in our world right now, in our country? We are, we started election processing a year early so that all of these issues could get out there and all these different candidates could get out there and talk to you. At least that's what we believe. That's what we've seen. That's the image in front of us. That's what the television shows us. That's what the newspapers tell us. So we have all these candidates, okay? The last two elections, we had what people believed to be election fraud. Now, everyone figured out it because the media told us or somebody in the executive branch told us or the judicial branch told us that they did their investigations and there was no fraud. Ask Al Gore that. See if he still believes that. Um, anyway, um, the Chads, you know, all the stuff that happened in Ohio and Florida, if they don't know about election fraud, nobody does, right? Um, anyway, if you have 1.5 million illegal aliens get a driver's license from New York. Number one, it's a problem just because they're getting a license. But now what Spitzer has done has told their clerks that there will be no requirement for a Social Security number for that driver's license. This is New York State. This is where 9-11 happened. This is where lots of things happened. This is where the UN is. This is where Wall Street is. This is where everything is, right? New York City. And um, so now you don't have to have a Social Security number to get a driver's license. What you have to do is say to the person that you're getting your license from, yes, I'm a citizen. That's breaking the law. You have to swear, 
and you'll be perjuring yourself if you lied. But that's all you have to say. Now, once you get that license, you are empowered to vote in the United States. So when you go to the, the, the voting place, the poll, and you um, stand in line, you show your license and say, this is me, and my picture's on it, I get to vote. Okay? Okay. So who do you think illegal immigrants are going to vote for? Who do you think they're going to vote for? Tough one, isn't it? Because if you think about both parties, you've got one party that says, yeah, we need to secure our borders, who does nothing. You have the other party who doesn't want to secure the borders because they believe that securing the borders would negatively affect our economy. Okay? You don't know which party that is, then you need to get educated because they're, they're both been out there for quite a long time now. You should know who's doing what. But but um, New York is, is mostly a democratic state, so we want to make sure that we have a democratic president. Okay? Um, then we also have the Chinese vote, and you know what's going on with that. Now, I don't have a problem with Hillary Clinton. A lot of people, you know, you hear the men talk about her, and you can feel in the energy that there's a fear of a woman being in power. You know, they're not from England anymore with the queen. <laughs> And they don't come from places where they understand that women can be the keepers of the earth um, and do what's necessary. So I don't have a problem with her as a person, as a woman who is not the smartest woman in the world. Just because she's a lawyer doesn't mean she's the smartest woman in the world, that's for sure. But um, I don't have a problem with her as a person, except that <sighs> politically and ethically, what I have seen in the course of her history is not a code of ethics that I would follow. So I, I do have a problem with her ethics, okay? I have a problem with the fact that I can't trust what she says. Does that mean that I can trust the other side, that I can look at Giuliani or, or Fred Thompson or um, any of those people and say, oh, yeah, I really trust what he's saying? <laughs> uh, Giuliani was in New York during 9-11, and um, did, it, did they fair job of trying to look like he was keeping people calm so you had somebody in front of the cameras who was telling you what was necessary to uh, to make you believe there was leadership in New York um, the firemen and the, and the and the policemen disagree and I went to New York after 9-11 so I, um, on 9-12 I went up there and um, so I know what was going on there and I know how the firemen and the police feel about all the things that happened and, and why they could have been avoided and how they could have been avoided. Many of the deaths could have been avoided. But, um, um, and, and a lot of his stuff is coming out. Also, now he's part of a party who is supposed to be part of the evangelical group who is um, pushing for things that are not godlike but believe in their minds that they are the godly ones. In other words, you can't have somebody like Giuliani who says, I'm, I'm pro-choice in many ways because of how women end up having to have abortions or why they have to because they've been raped or they're in bad relationships or um, shouldn't have been pregnant in the first place, those kinds of things. So, so the evangelicals say we can't support a candidate, even if he's a GOP candidate, who believes those things because we know that it's wrong. And so we have to find a candidate who knows that it's wrong. And 
Um, that's very godlike, isn't it? To to be so judgmental and one sided. Um, and <clears throat> of course he's got other problems too. So he's going to have a little bit of a problem on his ticket. And probably what you'll see happening, which would just be perfect if it did happen, and I said it today, um, I don't know for sure, but it would just be interesting if you had Hillary Clinton running with somebody like Giuliani as vice president, um, and, and they were on the ticket together because of the evangelicals being unable to support Giuliani money-wise or, or mind-wise. So you could see those things happening, and now you, as an American, have to be empowered enough and educated enough to figure out how you vote, if if that's what happens. If we come down to um, next year, you know, next summer, and we have all of this stuff going on that we have now, um, it's time to really get the lawyers out of the closets to go after the Constitution and do what we need to do to stop it. Because if we don't stop it this time, we're out of the ballgame. We're in that transitional period to 2011 and 12, and that's why a lot of this is going on. That's why you see all of this stuff. It's been prophesied. It's been told. When we look at um, the fires in California and the floods in the south, back to New Orleans being flooded again, and the drought on the East Coast, and the uh, Al Gore's Nobel Peace Prize for talking about what's happening with the environment and our our uh, our, our global crisis, and then CNN doing their Planet in Peril, which was taking um, films and, and facts all over the whole world about how the world is changing on a physical level, a... a uh, energetic level and you see all these things happening a lot of people don't connect the dots and put them all together you know my mother wanted to watch Planet in Peril and I said do you understand how that is related to the fact that you're watching all the fires in California or that you heard about the floods in New Orleans and um, and she had to stop and think and she said well I know that when my aunt was alive she said she used to call me up almost every day and when things happen in the world, she'd say, it's right here in the Bible. You should have read it. And then I, of course, had seven grandmothers who were Native Americans. And they would say to me, you should have known this. It's right here. It's in nature. Nature shows you this, and it's in our Native American prophecies. You should be able to see, to envision, to feel the energy that is changing around you and, and know your purpose in that, your responsibility to that, and how to empower yourself or find the power to do what you're supposed to do in relationship to all of those things. And that's the hard part. The prophecies are out there. We know them. Um, and and uh, for those of you who haven't listened to the prophecy um, podcast that I've done in the past, there were several, and there are two or you know, anywhere from six months ago to two years ago, a year and a half ago, whatever. And also on the radio program, I talked about prophecies um, on Voice America. I did that. But um, for those of you who haven't listened, <clears throat> those prophecies are there. They come from all kinds of places. And we are in the midst of them. We are creating them with our energy. We're creating them with our apathy. We're creating them with our fear with our um, non-education uh, without being aware of what's going on. And then this interesting thing. 
goes on. It happens. Uh, when Al Gore won the Nobel Peace Prize, of course, he gave the money away, or, or pledged to anyway, a lot of the judges, back to the judicial branch of our government, jumped on the fact that there were these mistakes, seven of them. Out of all the facts that he mentioned, there were seven mistakes. That's what they had to come up with. That's what they focused on, okay? That's what our judicial branch does. Focus on the stuff that that um, they think doesn't make sense. They can't see it. They can't see the big picture. They're looking for facts that, that are backed up by whatever. So there's seven mistakes. I don't think the mistakes are that big, and if they're that big, uh, the whole thing would be wrong, but um, they're not, okay? But they focus on that. Now, what happens is that many people in the country, when they realize that he got the Peace Prize, and they know what's going on in government, or they feel what's happening in our country, but they can't define it. They can't put their finger on it. Right away, they said they wanted Al Gore to run for president. Well, I was talking to Lori and Elsa and my mother and some other people today, and I said, you realize what allegory means? And, of course, nobody really knew because allegory is not an easy word. And if you look it up, you probably won't even be able to tell by the definition what it means. But for those who, who do these kinds of things, who are wordsmiths or, or, or follow things, um, I was very young when I read Plato's Republic, uh, and I didn't understand it the first 10 or 15 times I think I read it. I, I had to read it many, many times, and I knew I should. Um, Plato and Socrates, I was I was really into them, okay? And uh, I was into Latin, too, because I, I was going to be a doctor and all that stuff. So I, I, I just did that stuff as a kid, and I know it's weird, but let it go, okay? But allegory is a, is a very strange word, and one of the, the classic stories that people use as an example of allegory is from uh, from Plato's Republic and it's called the cave and it's it's about people being men being in a cave and they have always been in the cave they've never not been in the cave they don't know what's outside the cave they can't get out of the cave as far as they know they can't see out of the cave but they can see shadows of things that go by the cave like birds and, and other animals and they see those shadows and when they see the shadows go by the cave they believe that that is the reality of the world, that whatever is around them in that cave, in that darkness, and with those shadows, that that is reality, until one day, one prisoner finally escapes. And notice that they are prisoners, and not just people in a cave, they're prisoners. And when that one prisoner escapes and gets out of the cave, he sees all these things around him, and it almost lifts him up. He's so amazed at what the real things are in the world, <clears throat> what love is, what emotion is, what allegiance is, what loyalty is, all of the emotions, the energy of, of ourselves, that's energy in motion, that he could feel being outside the cave. And he goes and he experiences trees, and he experiences the power of connection to the earth, <clears throat> and the ultimate and absolute power of connection to heaven. And he feels and tries to translate those things into into um, his being, his very being. And when he comes back to the cave sometime later, he tries to tell the other prisoners that they're locked in this cave, but they can get out. That <clears throat> what they're seeing, the shadows on the wall, is not real. It's not what life is all about. And the prisoners don't believe them. Because in their minds, that's all they've ever had 
is the shadows. And so the belief is that the shadows are the reality and that he's a liar. And that there's just no way he's insane. That that can't possibly be. Well, if you look at what's happening in our country, we are all, or many of us, are in that cave. And we believe that all the things that are going on around us are the reality and that's the way it is and we accept them. We, you know, I've had people come come back to me and say, "Well, don't you enjoy driving down the roads? That's what our taxes pay for, and that's what this pays for, and that's what." It's like, you know, I don't know anymore if that's what our taxes pay for. I don't know if a trillion dollars for a war in Afghanistan and Iraq is justified. I do know that it doesn't feel right in my soul, and that's the important part. That's what I have to pay attention to. I can't sit here and do the pros and cons. I can't say like the congressional woman from New York, well, we need to have debates and need to bring this forward so we can talk about it and have more debates in public forums about whether or not illegal aliens should have licenses. No, 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 no. No, it's not time. There's no time to sit around and have debates. What feels right to me is that somebody needs to put a stop to that nonsense immediately before that spreads. That's a disease. And here we come back to holistic health. We have diseases that we create, and we create them within our bodies, but we also create them all around us. We disempower ourselves by, by believing that the shadows in the cave are the only reality and the true reality of who we are. Instead of understanding that we are a part of this gigantic, infinite power out there in the universes, and that when we disempower ourselves and we just see the shadows, we are depleting that energy and, and changing it. And it's not a good thing. It's not something that we should be doing. We need to be enlightened. We need to see the light outside of that cave because that's what makes us sick when we don't see it. That's what makes our country sick. That's what's making our world sick. Our whole entire world. Is there any place, if you could think, um, if you had the choice, if you had the options, is there anywhere in our world now that you would want to go because it was peaceful, it was a plush, it gave you <clears throat> a feeling of well-being, of safety, of um, unequivocal equality with everything around you. Is there any place like that that you can think of? I remember being young thinking, wow, I really want to go to California. When I get bigger, I want to go to California. I didn't know why. Probably because um, it was somewhat progressive in its energy, and I, I was a little bit progressive when I was young. So when I joined the Marines, they said, where would you like to be stationed? And I said, California. And eventually I did. I was stationed at MCRD San Diego and Camp Pendleton, California. And I went through some of the fires back in 1968-970, um, where we sat up for two nights in a row waiting to see if we were going to be... Uh, relocated, evacuated. But anyway, I wanted to go to, to, to California because I had always heard that it was this beautiful place near the ocean with mountains. It never rained there. Um, it was a good place to be. <clears throat> anyway, and, and I went, I almost stayed after I got out. I almost stayed in San Diego. 
I loved San Diego, but things happened in your, you know, they happened in your life and my family, and I came all the way back across country and thought I was going to return in a couple of weeks, and it took about 30 years. I went back there for vacations, but I never truly went back. And then it took a long time before I went back on a vacation again. And I went back to San Diego, and I was going to go to Old Town um, and took a friend with me. And I remember driving all the way there with anticipation and a warmth in my heart and my soul about this place that I saw as Eden, as the the paradise that I wanted to someday be in again. And I and I I got to the city, and of course they had widened the highways even more, and the cars were just awful, and the attitudes of the drivers were just horrible. And I worked my way through all the traffic to. Um, Old Town, and Old Town, San Diego, used to be a place where you, you know you go park your car someplace, and then you had several blocks of of no cars. You didn't have cars there. It's just a nice little place near the mission, and you could go up and sit there. And it wasn't that crowded. And and when you went up on the mission, the Alcala up on the hill, you could overlook part of San Diego, and sometimes a plane would fly over, but it was just a nice place to be. And when we got to Old Town, it was only one block that you couldn't have cars anymore, and everything was just packed. It was all parking places, and um, the sidewalks were gone, and the stores were changed, and it was so crowded, and the people were so miserable, and and their attitudes were so negative. And, and, I, and I cried. I sat in the car, I went back to the car, and I cried that my Eden had disappeared, my paradise was gone, and it was the only place I ever thought I could go someday where everything would be wonderful. Somewhere over the rainbow, I guess, is what we're always looking for. Well, where is that place now? In your mind, where is it? Is there any country, any state, any city that you want to go to because all those things are there? I find it very hard Okay, and so my 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 rainbow place, my paradise place, is not a place anymore. It's not a place here. It becomes almost the shadows outside of the cave, and it's going to be a tough one. The shadows in the cave were the, the presumed reality. The enlightenment is coming out of the cave. When I go back in the cave, I'm introspective, and I see the true self. And I get a little wiser about who we are and what we're doing here. And um, so I don't know if it's back in the cave, if that's where um, my paradise is. What I do know is that I am bound to find it, and I am bound to help create it, whatever that means. And I will be driven somehow. I will be told what comes next, what I say next, how many people I speak it to, how I speak it how I get it done. And you have to do the same thing. If you want to feel empowered, you have to help empower each other. Don't feel like, I don't know what to do and I have I, I have no power to change things. Absolutely you do. This is the republic. This is a, a country of the people, by the people, for the people. And that's what we have given up. We have given up our power to be the people. And we are the people. And we're wonderful people. And we're diverse we're full of all kinds of different energies. We've seen what happens. I think I think it's almost on purpose that we have disasters so that people can look at each other and, and stand in disbelief almost at how willing we are as a people to give our love, to give our help, to embrace those who need us, to embrace those who have less, to embrace those who have lost, um, 
and and we're and we're kind of tired, I think, of the politicians, <laughs> and we need to get rid of the politicians. We've done it in all of our histories. If you go back to Rome, if you go back to pre-Rome, you go back to Greece, you go back to all these times when Plato wrote the Republic. There was a problem then too, and 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 why people wrote things like that and spoke about things like that is because they needed to change the energy and they needed to change the course of what was going on. You cannot sit back and just let it happen. You have to be active. You are an energy person. You have to be active, not stagnant. If you're stagnant, you're like one of those ponds with all the junk in it that doesn't move anymore because it's so full of sludge. We have to get active. And if that activity means just talking to one other person, writing me, I don't care, um, doing a blog, you know, if you're on the Internet, calling me up, ask me questions. If it gets you thinking, if it gets your heart moving, if it involves your soul and your reason for being here and how you're going to affect what happens to our world, then I will answer. That's the best way I can tell you. The prophecies are all out there, and it's not prophecies of gloom. It's prophecies of possibility. In Native America, we will often wear pouches, and they're called possibility pouches. They have all kinds of little things in them that we don't really share with anyone because the possibilities are for us, and we always know that if we follow our paths and look for our possibilities and feel the power of that, um, that soul part of us that's following that path, that the possibilities will become realities, not shadows, but the true realities. And I think maybe if all of you could just, or each one of you could just make your own little pile of possibilities, whether that's a list that you have to do because you're that kind of person, or pictures or photographs or trinkets in a pouch or whatever it is, make those possibilities real in front of you. Let yourself see them so that you feel the power of them. Go out and do your earth walk. And when you feel that power, you'll know what the solutions are. You'll know how you're going to fit in to what the prophecies are pushing us to. And that will help to heal your soul and empower your soul. And when your soul is empowered and your energy is empowered, um, guess what? Your body gets better, your mind gets better, and it's not so hard anymore. Do it with love. I talked to a woman last night. Who I, I said, how are you doing? She says, well, I've changed. And I said, for the good, I hope. And she said, well, yeah. And I said, well, what way? Because you're always a good person. She says, ah, I'm not angry anymore. I'm a nicer person now. And I said, and what did you do to do that? And she said, I just decided to step over that line. And every time people started fighting or every time people started doing anything, I said, wait, wait, wait. I need a hug first. And when they shared their energy, they could figure out the problems much easier. So go out and give everybody a hug. Give me one, too. I definitely need it. I'm a little exhausted from all of this. But um, go out and give everybody a hug. But do yourself first. Hug yourself and say, I'm important. I'm a part of this country. I'm a part of this world. And I, I do not want to be a part of a lot of the things that are going on here. So God help me. Let me find the solution. Let me find my path and my reason for being here and feel my power. Okay, please go to earthwalk-usa.com and please get the book. And when you get the book, please read the book. And when you read the book, please do the reviews on Amazon and Barnes & Noble. I am being knocked out of the ballpark um, by both of these online bookstores and therefore 
other little bookstores all over the country because people are not doing the reviews and or Amazon and Barnes and Noble keep erasing them. I need your help. I need you to get on there and let them know that this book is important, that what I say sometimes is important, that you are at least somebody who takes things seriously, holistically seriously, um, and that you want to be supportive of that. So give me a break. Get out there and, and do what you're supposed to do. I'm doing what I'm supposed to do for you. Do it for me. Earthwalk-USA.com. I'll be back on Thursday. and. Um, We'll talk about real diseases and see if we can maybe up the numbers on the podcast. Thanks for listening.